Well, I couldn't tell if uh, Batman came to hear me preach or um, the Satan was trying to disrupt our service here. Uh, if you're watching online, you just have to be here, but it was, uh, it was pretty comical for a while. So I'd just like to give it up for RJ one more time. He did an awesome, awesome job. I feel like I could just get up and uh, pretty much close in prayer at this point. Um, did a great job and stole some of my verses, actually. Um, and it's got a great speaking voice. My goodness. I preached on not envying last week, and here I am envying his voice. You guys are stuck now with this old southern draw voice. But it's good to be here. Have anybody seen um, what's been going on in Kentucky? Asbury, Kentucky, isn't that awesome? Uh, God is really moving. I think it's been going on for a full week now. Uh, this, this awakening or this revival that's been taking place uh, that this started in a small little chapel that uh, wasn't intended and some people stayed after and just kept singing praises and it just kept growing and growing and growing and God is, just keeps moving there. So uh, God is, is just awesome and, and awesome to see, uh, especially young people like that, their, their faith and stepping out in faith. Um, and it's just a story that goes along with that. I know a lot of you guys knew about uh, our cousin um, that suffered a, it was actually a widowmaker heart attack, uh, and God has brought her through that. So uh, praise God for that, that, uh, you know, he restored her, and uh, she's doing well and on the mend, and she's got a long way to go, but, uh, but God is moving in her life. And so just pray that God will use that uh, uh, just for his glory in our family. We, re we really need it. So um, so tonight we're going to continue on in our series, uh, and they gave me even less time for this one, but uh, I got the mic, and IU don't come on till 9, so we're good. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to start, and I'm going to get the last part of verse 4, <laughs> and then try to do 5 through 7. Uh, so let's go ahead, and uh, let's open up in prayer. Father God, tonight, Lord, we are, are just in awe of your goodness, God. We're so uh, just in awe of how good you are, how great you are, God. But, uh, you pour your spirit out, Father, and, and things just start to change, God. And uh, we just pray that you would continue to move in our nation and our community, God, that um, there would just be a revival all over the place for you, Lord. And God, as we come here tonight, God, we just pray that our hearts would be here focused on you and worshiping you, God, because you alone are the only one that is worthy of it, and God, we just pray that anything that would hinder that, Father, we would leave outside the door, God, get it out of our minds, get it out of our hearts, that we could be here focused on you, and we pray, Father, that you would bless your word as it goes forth, for that is where all the power lies, God, it's not in the speaker or in, in the show, anything else, it's only your word, and Father, we just pray that you would bless it tonight. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, so let's start right out there, and we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians again, chapter 13, starting in verse 4. It says, Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. All right, so like I said, I wanted to go back and touch on the last part of uh, verse 4 because I didn't really get to that. 
and I said it kind of went along a little bit better with this week, so uh, we're going to touch on that, but uh, the first part of there, the last part of it says love, Paul says love does not brag uh, and is not arrogant, and that's, uh, <laughs> that. there's really a lot there as we look at that and try to unpack that. The Greek word for, for brag there, it means to, to vault oneself up or really to, to shove yourself into the limelight. Um, and then to be arrogant means to be puffed up or filled with air. Uh, so what Paul is saying here is love doesn't try to be the center of attention. Love doesn't have to stick itself out there and say, look at me and look at how good I am. That's what Paul is trying to say uh, to the people here. Um, you know, and you, if, you, if you've been here on Sundays, Pastor Chris has been teaching through this exact same letter. Uh, and you can kind of see that uh, Paul mentions uh, this word for for arrogant is only mentioned seven times in the New Testament, uh, and six times he says it in this letter uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, so you can see they're really got a problem with this, just like I believe so many in the church today and outside the church, the world uh, in general has a huge problem with with arrogance and wanting to be in the limelight. Uh, you guys know that person. Um, I'm sure if I mention this, you guys, everybody can think of that person that they always have to have the best, or they always have to one-up what you do. If you caught an 8-inch fish, you caught a 12-inch fish. If you went here, they went there. If you stayed this long, they stayed that long. They always are just a little bit better than you, and they want to make sure that you know that they are better than you. Now, I know that everyone in here can think of that person. They love to brag about you know, what they have and how much they have and what they've done and the trips that they've went on. Those are tough people to be around, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest. You guys can act all spiritual, but they're tough. That's tough to be around people that act like that. It's very hard to be around people that act like that. And it's even worse when it's a Christian. It's even worse when it's someone that's taken on the name of Christ that's acting that way uh, in their personal life, and even more so when they start to brag about what they're doing for the Lord. That really, again, we talked about last week, that's something that really gets up my crawl is when somebody acts like that as a believer. You know, you're talking to them and they're like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm just so worn out. And you know, they're wanting you to say, well, why? I just usually just kept, oh, okay, and just kind of drag them along. Oh, you wouldn't believe what went on last night. And then finally, yeah, I was up all night doing things for the Lord. I was serving the Lord all night. Or you guys know that person that... Uh, that goes out there, and they have to put it. They're out there. Oh, we're out here feeding the homeless. Facebook, hashtag all praise to God, right? But they got to put it on Facebook so they get the praise. they got to have the limelight. Love, Paul says love doesn't do that. I've even seen a church that, that went out to a person uh, that was really had a rough way of it. He was really struggling, him and his family, and they put it on Facebook Live. Like this person wants to be and wants the whole world to know his misfortune. Why on earth would you as a church want to put that on Facebook Live? I always tell them, listen, there's your, here's your pat on the back, because that's all you're getting. Don't expect anything from God. You wanted that. You wanted the limelight. You wanted the pat on the back. Well, there you go, because that's all you're going to get. Because God is not going to reward that action anymore. But we do that. We love to brag and we love to be in the spotlight. Even as Christians, we struggle with that a lot. But Paul says that love love doesn't do that. 
And God taught us that if we want to be loving and we want to be rewarded, we got to do things so that nobody sees. We got to do things so that it's between us and between God. Because that's what's important. See, love is when you see and you know someone's struggling, you go and you take a bag of groceries and leave it on their doorstep and you leave. That's what love does. Love is if you know somebody's struggling, you get them, you get them a gift card and lay it at their door and, and with a note that says, God bless you. That's what love does. Love doesn't have to get the reward. Love doesn't have to get the limelight for helping somebody. Paul says that's a disgrace when we try to love that way and think that that's true love. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, now notice that says when you give, not if you give. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they be, may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they will have their reward in full. So Jesus is saying that's all they get. If that's what they wanted, that's all they're going to get, that recognition from men because they're not getting anything from him. And then he says this, But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus warns us that when we are doing good things, not to do them to be noticed by men because that's not the purpose. That's not what God has set us out to do. We don't need to parade it around to try to get the recognition. He says, even, even be so discreet not to let your left hand know what your right is doing. That seems odd to think about that. But what he's really saying is it needs to be so discreet and to be so natural that you don't even think about it. And he says, I don't even want you to dwell on it. I don't even want your left hand to know because if you start to dwell on and think about the good thing that you did, guess what? You're going to start getting proud of it. He says it needs to come and flow so naturally from you that it, it, it just, it's just natural. And we don't have to dwell on it or think about it. And he's saying this, you don't have to let other people know. Because what happens, again, what happens when we start to get a little recognition? We start to get puffed up. We're human, right? We still struggle with all the same things as everybody else does, even though we're believers. He says, don't even dwell on the good that you do. Don't even think about it. Let it just be natural and be gone, and let God get the glory for it. And then you'll be rewarded. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, It does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, not, does not provoke, does not take into account a wrong suffered, and let's take a look at it. We're going to take a look at a couple of these. So it says, does not act unbecomingly. And the Greek word for that, it means to be like out of shape or out of form or not like what it's supposed to be. Uh, it translates really pretty good as, as rude uh, or obnoxious or trying to disgrace somebody. Uh, Paul says here that, that real agape love, real love that is from God will never try to disgrace anyone. It will never put anyone down and try to disgrace them or be rude to them. Even if you're trying to lift yourself up, love doesn't do that. You know, I think this is about one of the, to me, this is about one of the ugliest actions that I can see anybody do is when they will put somebody down 
and try to disgrace somebody just so they can be lifted up a little bit. Uh, if you're doing that, and, we're, and when we're doing that, there's nothing uglier I can think of. See, Ephesians 4 says this. God said, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. See, God says that we're not to speak or act in any way that would tear somebody down. Anytime that we open our mouth to speak about somebody, it should be to encourage them and to lift them up. That's what the word edify, edify means. It's to build up and to encourage. That's the only time that we should be opening our mouths. If somebody else's names come out of our mouth, it should be because we're building them up and want to encourage them. That's the only thing. In marriages, it, um, if you're married in here, we have to be really careful of that. Because when you're married, you know everything about that person. You know their deepest, darkest secrets, their fears. You know all of that. And so when you get into an argument and you want to win that argument, it's very tempting to want to bring that up, isn't it? And you can destroy your significant other by the words that you speak to them. Because you know everything that's going to hurt them. We have to really be on our guard with that in our marriages. And we end up, a lot of times we end up tearing down and disgracing the one that we are to love above everyone else besides God. And I know it's easy sometimes because we feel like that's our safe space at home. But a lot of times we can tear down the people that we should be loving the most. We need to be very careful in our marriages of that and very, uh, very thoughtful in our marriages of that. Then verse 5 says that love does not seek its own. And what that means is, and we talked about it a lot last week, I'm not out there loving people and showing love because they're going to love me back. That's not why I'm loving people. I'm loving people because God asked me to love people, because that is my desire to love people, because the Holy Spirit is motivating me to love people. I shouldn't be out there and, oh, this person this person treats me pretty good, so I'm going to show them love. And this person, not so much, so they, they can fend for themselves. That's not what love is. Love doesn't have to seek its own. Love, lo love is natural. Love just comes because you want to do it and because God has asked you to do it. It doesn't have to be loved back. That's what Paul is saying there. And we talked about that, and we talked about the being provoked quite a bit last week, so uh, I'm not going to go into that very much. You can go listen to last week's message. Uh, let's take a look at the last part of verse 5 there. It says, uh, this one I think is going to probably touch a lot of us. I know it does me, and I struggle with it. Um, the last part of this says, um, I'm going to read it all, but does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it does not provoke, and then does not take into account the wrong suffered. That's a tough one. That is a, a tough one. And that word for take into account a wrong suffered, in the Greek, it's, it's like an accounting term. It's like I'm keeping a tally, basically, is what, what it's saying there. It means to, to place in one's credit or one's bank account. Uh, that same word is used in Romans 4.3. Uh, when it says, For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him 
as righteousness. Same word, Abraham believed God and God credited that, God tallied that to his account as righteousness. And that's that same word that, that Paul is using here in this, in this verse, only he's telling us not to do it in the negative sense. On Sundays, again, Pastor Chris is going through this, but uh, some of you guys are going to remember that there was a lot going on in this church. They were fighting. Uh, they were going to court with each other, suing each other. Uh, Paul even said, you know, you got brother going against brother into court in front of unbelievers to let them decide. And then he says this a little later on. It says uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Paul tells them that it's already to their shame that they're doing this. It's already a disgrace to them that they're doing this and they're going before unbelievers. And he says, why wouldn't you rather be wrong? Why would you not rather be wronged or defrauded than to bring shame to the name of Jesus by how you're acting? Because that's what happens when we keep tallies and we keep scores and we think this person owes us something and we react to that. That's what happens really truly is we bring shame to the name of Jesus by how we act. And Paul says, wouldn't you, you should rather be wrong than to ever want to bring shame to the name of Jesus. Now in this verse again, he's telling us that, that meaning someone, when someone does me wrong, really what he's saying is, is if Chris does me wrong, I don't get the old accounting ledger out and say, okay, Chris did this to me on this date got to get back at him by that's not what he that's not what love does and that's what paul's saying you don't keep a tally so you can pay back everything that somebody does to you wrong love doesn't do that you know i heard of two guys talking one time and and one of the guys says i tell you what every time me and my wife fight it gets historical and the guy looked at him and said, what do you mean historical? You mean hysterical? Like funny, hysterical? And he said, no. He said, it gets historical. She brings up everything that I have ever done in the past. Historical. And that's what we like to do, don't we? We like to think that we love people, but they do us wrong. We start to remember and bring back every little thing that they've done against us. But Paul says love doesn't do that. Love says, I would rather be wrong than to ever bring shame to the name of Jesus. That's what love does. And now I know that you're sitting around and you're thinking, how can I, we, we sit around and we think, how can I pay it back, right? What can I do to pay this person back? What can I do to make sure that they get theirs? I remember telling someone, listen, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. All you got to do is sit back and do what you're doing. If they're in the wrong, God's going to take care of it. You don't have to get even. God's going to take care of it. And I know, again, that this is not easy, but if we're walking by the Spirit, if we're living by the Spirit like we talked about last week, and if we can quickly forgive, we're just going to be so much better in our Christian life. When you hold grudges, uh, I heard someone say, when you hold a grudge, it's like drinking rat poison, expecting the other person to die. 
Because all you're doing is poisoning yourself with hatred. That's all you're doing. And I know it's not easy, but God said this. God said, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That means you do whatever you have to do to be at peace with all men, to have a good conscience, to know that I've done everything that I can do here. That's what God says. Matthew 7 says this. It says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he thought he was being generous here. Up to seven times, Lord? Should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And there he didn't even mean that we keep counting at 491, we can let him have it. That's not what he's trying to say either. He's trying to say you need to forgive so many times that it, it, it seems uncountable, that I just keep forgiving. That's what he's saying, that it just, I can't keep track of it. I'm not going to keep track of it because God asked me to forgive and forgive and forgive. You know, we have this great example of forgiveness, and, and R.J. talked about it, this perfect example, who is the, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the example, the, the one the Bible says that fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's how we are to live our life, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus didn't sit up in heaven and say, well, okay, Landon's going to sin 5,000 times, and RJ's going to sin 10,000 times, and Scotty, he's going to sin probably 25,000 times. So that, that's, that's too much. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't keep a tally of our sins. Jesus said, I love them, and I'm going to go die for them. I don't care how many times that they sin against me. I'm not going to keep an account of that because I'm going to die for it once for all, past, present, and future. His simple answer to our sin was that I love them more than the sin. I love them more than that, and I'm going to die for them even while we were sinners. Not that we got cleaned up and said, Now, God, please look at me. Even while we were in our sin, Christ died for us. Even while we were, rejecting, we were rejecting God, Christ died for us. He didn't tally that against our account. And now Jesus calls us to this same type of love. And he says, don't keep score. Don't keep count of how many times you've been wrong. You just love and forgive. Show the love that the way that I loved you. Show that type of love. Colossians 3 says this, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. So I want to go back real quick. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also are you to forgive others. How did God forgive us? How did God forgive us? 
God did not only just forgive us fully. He did not pay just fully the sin debt. How did he forgive us? He said, I took your sin and I cast it as far as the east is from the west. To what? Be remembered no more. I'm not going to bring it back up against you no more. I'm not going to keep a tally against you and bring it up against you no more. That's how God loved us. And God is calling us as Christians to love this way. And again, like we talked about last week, God is not going to call you to do it and ask you to do it if you can't do it. You can, we can do it as Christians. We have the Holy Spirit, and we can do it. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 6, let's go back. It says, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And now I could, I could really, really, really get on a roll here, uh, but for time's sake, I'm trying not to. Um, but again, Pastor Chris has been going through this on Sundays, and, and you can go back and listen. Uh, but Paul is reminding here that blatant, blatant sin and blatant unrighteousness should not be accepted by believers. We should not just go along with it. We should not just go along to get along. We should always stand for the truth. Always stand for the truth. First Corinthians 5, we've been, like I said, we've been going through that. Paul says this, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, so you become arrogant and not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this and done this deed would be removed from your midst. There's a point that uh, as believers, as all of us as believers, that um, sometimes you can't, fellowship with unrighteousness to a point if someone is out and blatant and unrepentant sin I'm not saying they can't be in church if they're that way they need to be in church what I'm saying is is you as a believer can't fellowship sometimes with people that are out living in blatant and unrepentant sin Jesus says what, what fellowship do we have with that we shouldn't have fellowship with that because when we do that what are we really saying we're saying pretty much I'm okay with it, right? It's okay. You do what you want to do. That's not how God has called us to. That's not what love does. See, we put on this false pretense, pretense sometimes that, well, we're doing it out of love. We're just being accepting out of love. But Paul says that's not love. That's not love. If you will sit back and rejoice in that type of unrighteousness, that's not love. Paul says love doesn't do that. Love doesn't rejoice in righteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. And if you love that person, you would try to speak to them. If you love that person, you would try to draw them back into fellowship. You would try to draw them back into the ways of God. See, love doesn't want to see them destroyed. And if you continue to let someone go through and go down unrepented and, and unremorsed sin, what happens? You can fall deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. That fellowship that you're breaking, you're trying to draw that person back. And Paul says you can't, you can't just accept that. You have to speak the truth to these people. If you love them, you don't want to see them destroyed. If they're walking off a cliff, you would love them enough to tackle them. If they were on a train track and a train was coming, you would love them enough to go knock them off the train track. Why is it that when someone is going down a path in their spiritual life, 
That's the only thing that we, we, we feel taboo about, that we won't try to go rescue them from. Paul says, if you love them, you will. If you love, you will. Sometimes we call that tough love. And it's not easy sometimes. I, I give you that. It's not easy. It's not easy to risk the friendship. But sometimes you have to value and love the person more than the friendship. You have to value and love that person more than you do that friendship. And I know that it's not easy. See, sometimes love is not convenient and love is not easy. But we are called to it as Christians. Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. See, there's going to be a whole world that tells that person, you just keep doing you, do whatever you want to do. But is there going to be one, one faithful friend that will love them enough to say, this isn't right. This isn't how you're supposed to be living as a Christian. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And before we move on again, I just want to say that this is blatant, unrepentant sin. This isn't just somebody messes up and goes out and gets drunk or something one night. That's not what we're talking about. This person is in blatant, unrepentant sin. This was a sin that Paul said that even the Gentiles would be like, Ooh, that is gross. That's nasty. Even they wouldn't do it. He says even an unbeliever wouldn't do something as bad as this. That's what we're talking about. And remember that restoration is always, always, always the goal and not condemnation. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too would not be tempted. That's the call as Christians. We don't accept that. We don't rejoice in unrighteousness, but we stand and we joyce, rejoice in the truth, the truth of God's word. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, so love bears all things. Now the first thing I want you to notice in that verse is all things, not some things. That's hard, isn't it? Because we can put up with some stuff for a while. I can be nice and gentle for a while, but eventually I try to get to a point that I'm over it. But Paul says love doesn't do that. Love bears all things. And it gives this reference, this, this bear gives this reference of, or, or this all things, it gives this reference, and the Greek, it's, it's really kind of cool how it's used. It's, it's used so that it means every individual thing making up a whole. So we have no excuse to say, I've been patient with them. This is, you know, I've forgiven this and this and this, but this one I can't. Paul says, all things, every individual thing that makes up everything they've ever done to you. You can't blanket statement. He says, every individual thing, all things. And then it says, so again, we bear all things. And that word in the Greek, it means to, to cover up, to put a shelter over, to put a roof over. And so really what it means is we don't go spouting off, right, when somebody, we know someone has sinned. 
We don't go and, and, and tell it to everybody else in the church. We cover up that person. We try to restore that person and protect that person. The whole church don't have to know it. If God's brought it to our attention, we need to do something about it. When we're sinned against, we don't have to go and run and tell everybody that this person did this and this person did that. And when we know someone is in sin, we need to go to them again and try to restore them and not gossip about it. We don't have to do the old gossip prayer. Well, you know, pray for old brother so-and-so. Guess what he did? He's just fallen into all this sin. That's a gossip prayer. That's what we call gossip prayers. You're, you're not, you don't even want to pray for them. You just wanted to gossip about them. And you covered it up by asking for prayer. And then it says, love believes all things. And it means that, that it's not that, not that we believe things that are lies, but that we believe the best in people. That if somebody comes to me and says, Scotty, I, I just got to tell you what Chris did. I'm going to stop him right there and say, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that until you can, I can get 100% proof of that. I will not believe that. I know that person too well to even think that they would do something like that. Matter of fact, why don't me and you go talk to Chris and see if that's true? That's what love does. When it says love believes all things, I'm going to believe the best about that person until I'm proven wrong. I'm not going to fall into that gossip and let gossip take control of my life and think bad about a person that I don't really know and have all the facts about. Love is going to believe the best about that person. That's what it means there. And again, most of the time, if you say, hey, why don't we just go talk to this person, guess what happens? The accuser says, well, no, no, I don't know for sure. Then why are you saying it? But love will believe the best about a person. We, as brothers and sisters, we should be trying to use this term fighting and scratching and clawing to defend the honor of our other brothers and sisters until you know that they have done it you believe that they haven't they don't have to prove that you believe that about them and then it says that love hopes all things and that means that we confidently confidently expect good we confidently expect good in our lives we are confidently expecting the best outcome for our life. The Bible says that, that God works all things for the good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So if He says that, we can confidently expect that no matter what's going on in my life, that God is going to work it out for good. That's what He's saying there. He's saying that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what this life brings, we can have hope and a confident expectation of good in our Lord. That's what he's saying there. Because God can take anything and make good out of it. Knowing that our reward is not in this life. Our reward is in heaven. And the last thing that he says here is that love endures all things. And that word in the Greek, it means to, uh, it gives us meaning of standing your ground or of staying behind. He says love love stays behind. And it gives the meaning of, of while everyone else on the battlefield, while everyone else is giving up and running and leaving, I'm going to stay behind and I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to fight for the truth. And I'm going to fight for what is good. And I'm going to fight for whatever God has called me to fight for. 
love will stand its ground. Love will stay back when everyone else leaves you and runs away. If you love that person or you love that cause, you are going to stand your ground and you're going to remain behind when everybody else is running off the battlefield because that's what love does. And it's just like those marriage vows in a marriage. You know, we, when you marry, you, you say for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. Now, you guys, if you're married in here, you know sometimes it ain't easy, right? It's not easy. Nicole was, was blessed and got one that's really, really good. The rest of you got to do better. I'm just kidding. It, it's, marriage is tough sometimes. But if I love my spouse and I love God, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to remain back and I'm going to fight even when the world tells me, oh, you'll be so much happier if you just leave. It'll be so much better if you just run away. Get out of it. Love says, I made a vow to that person and I'm going to remain behind and I'm going to fight for this. That's what love does. And in our Christian walk sometimes, you know, when, when things seem impossible, when you're witnessing to your family and it seems impossible that they'll ever come to the Lord, love says stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Keep witnessing. Keep loving. And see what God is going to do there in your, that relationship. Love will remain in the fight. And I, so, I know sometimes when we talk about things like this that people, a lot of times people will say, yeah, yeah, I know that, right? I know that. But what would happen if we got it to go from here to here? What would happen if it went from here to here and then out to here? What would happen if the things that we know, we would let it get to our heart and we would let it affect how we live? Paul says over and over again, I bring these things to your remembrance. It's not rocket science, but we need to be reminded of it sometimes. We've got to let it get from here to here and let it affect every part of our lives. And then I know that, uh, again, like we said, it's not easy to love people. Sometimes it's really, uh, really difficult. Sometimes you can have every excuse in the world not to do it anyway. Do it anyway. Not for you, not for what you can get out of it, because God has asked you to do it. Do it anyway. You know, I heard a story of this old, uh, and see, just see what happens in that relationship. I, I heard a story of this old Southern guy, and uh, he went to his buddy, and he said, you know what, I cannot stand my wife. I absolutely, I absolutely despise her. She has ruined my life. She has caused me so much misery and I'm, I'm just going to divorce her. And the friend, he had some great advice. He said, no, don't just divorce her. You want to destroy her. So here's what you do. You go home, and for the next two months, you love all over her. You love all over her. You open up doors. You take her out to eat. You show her how much you love her. Really get her to think that, that you love her all this, this so much. Then tell her you want the divorce. That'll destroy her. And then call me and tell me what happened. So about two or three months goes by, and the guy hasn't called back. And so he called this guy, and he says, Hey, bud, what, 
what happened? I didn't hear from you. He said, what, was she destroyed when you told her you wanted a divorce? And that old southern guy said, you know what? The dangest thing happened. I started showing her love and doing all these things for her, and I realized I still love the old hag. Love anyway. Keep loving, even when it's difficult. I'm going to finish with a verse and just a quick story. Uh, it's a really cute story. At least I thought it was anyways. Uh, this mom was making dinner. And she tells this little girl, she says, Okay, honey, I'm making dinner. I've got all this. And I'm going to make broccoli for dinner too. And she says, You like broccoli, don't you? And the little girl says, Oh, mommy, I love broccoli. I love broccoli so much, mommy. And so she's so good. And she makes her food. And then she notices that she's eating dinner. She's eating everything around the broccoli and not eating the broccoli. And she says, honey, what's wrong? I thought you loved broccoli. She said, oh, mommy, I do. I love broccoli, but I just don't love it enough to eat it. And so that goes along with this, ver this final verse that, you know, last week I told you to kind of think on, on this verse. And the same thing with, with this week. Think on this verse and pray on this verse and, and ask God to help you live out this verse every day this week in your life and that story goes along with this this verse here first john three eighteen says little children let us not love with word or with tongue but in deed and truth john is saying there don't give lip service it's easy to say i love you right it's easy to say i love this person or that person he's saying love them in deed love them with action Jesus said, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's easy to give lip service. God says, get out there and show love. Get out there and do love and be love. Don't just say it. All right, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll close there. I think we'll have uh, Pastor Nate up uh, next week. So we're going to close in prayer. If everybody would please bow. Father, we come to you again tonight, Lord, and... God, we know, Lord, we don't pretend to be perfect, and we know, God, we've fallen short so many times with what you've asked of us. Uh, but, Father, tonight, we just ask, Father, that you would uh, give, us, give us a heart to love, God. Give us and show us how we are to love, Lord. Strengthen us to love even when that person is unlovable. God, help us to stay in the fight, Lord, to, to stand our ground. And to show love, not because we can get anything from it, but because you would be glorified by it, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we pray, Father, as we go out through the remainder of this week, that all that we do, Lord, and all that we say, would bring glory and honor to you and your precious son, Jesus. It's in his name we ask. Amen.